All right, welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Big thanks to Chris Fowler for joining us in the last segment, talking some college football. Now we're going to talk some NFL football, our monthly one-on-one with Nick Underhill, Saints reporter, analyst, writer for New Orleans.Football. Uh, first off, Nick, I know it's uh, it's a day before Thanksgiving, but a happy Thanksgiving, first off, to you and, and Mrs. Underhill, the wife. But secondly, I believe she's a vegetarian. So what do you guys do for like a Thanksgiving meal? So, yeah, I, I go to Copeland's here and I, I get this thing they, they call the Pilgrim Platter. It's, it's really good. It's turkey, well-seasoned. I, I enjoy it a lot. She gets some fake turkey from Whole Foods. I tried it one year and it just uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't cutting it at all. But I'm not going to lie, man. Last year when I was in New England, I went up there and you know, I, I got a turkey from a takeout place and it just wasn't, they don't season food the same way up in the North. And, and it was a huge step down. And that was one of the first moments where I started to become extremely homesick because I could not get the turkey that I like to eat. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different here. We, we do our thing, but the, the fake turkey definitely, as someone who's had real turkey, I, I, I cannot recommend it. It is not a, a reasonable facsimile, but you know, it, it gets it done. The Pilgrim Platter. What a great name. I mean, you could go like Cajun Turkey or New The Pilgrim Platter is, that's, I, I, I look, I'm not going to get it. I'll, I'll eat some regular turkey. I mean, they don't have a Copeland's here. But just that name alone has me like wanting to order it. That's perfection right there. Oh, it's well worth it. Um, so I, I think of that line from Pulp Fiction, where Samuel L. Jackson's like, you know, my girlfriend's a vegetarian, which kind of makes me a vegetarian, but I do like the taste of a good burger. Do you like? Do you find yourself eating vegetarian food more often, or are you guys pretty good? Like, do you still get to to get your meat whenever you want it? Yeah, I mean, there's probably been like a stretch of like eight months where I've gone without eating meat. Oh um, my goodness! It's just it's just easier sometimes just to eat the same things, and then you know sometimes we'll cook two dinners. Uh, you know, I really only eat chicken like i can't remember the last time I, I had red meat i'll have some turkey obviously for thanksgiving so yeah in, in some respects you know being with with her marrying her really definitely changed my diet um i'm healthier you know i've i've lost i've lost a lot of weight since uh you know we, we've been together and and you know eating this way and living this way so she's definitely got me a lot a lot healthier you know my, my food variety is a little bit different but you know, one of the things with, with the vegetarian meals is that it takes a little bit more planning and you really got to think about it. So a lot of times that stuff ends up tasting better than, you know, throwing some chicken in a pan and throwing some hot sauce on it because, you know, that's good enough. But when, you, when you're when you doing the vegetarian thing, like you really got to cook to get some good taste. And some of those recipes, when you figure them out, they, they are actually really, really good. Nice. Good stuff. ESPN 1420. Nick Underhill, our guest, will... Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and her, and I uh, hope you guys have a great day tomorrow. Obviously, I want to talk some Saints football with you and, um, you know, Taysom Hill, the big topic of conversation last week. You wrote the story last week kind of insinuating, hey, look, here's a case for Taysom starting instead of Winston, and uh, no one really saw that. Not too many people saw that coming. You were you were early on that wagon. Um, what what was it about Taysom that made you think, okay, this is the direction they're going to go this Sunday? Well, I mean, if, you, if you're really, really watching the practice, there's some things that, that maybe hint at which guy's going to go. And they did a really good job of, of disguising it throughout the week. Um, 
you know, they, they, everything was, was split. You know, they're doing handoffs at the same time. They're, they're doing, you know, routes on air at the same time. But every now and then there, there's a moment where somebody goes first. And, you know, Taysom was going first in some of these things, you know, when, that, when they're rotating one after the other. And I don't know, like you, you see that and you just start thinking about it and wondering. I kind of tried to just start thinking about it through Sean Payton's eyes and, and his actions and the way they've done things. And, you know, th- this is the guy they paid. This is the guy that they've been coaching up for several years. And all this stuff just seemed to kind of be leading that direction. And, you know, take and pace him out mid game when he's on all your special teams. You well, not all anymore, but a handful of special teams units. He's part of some of your personnel packages. You know, they have their, they call it BYU 11, you know, their three receiver personnel with Taysom, BYU 12, all this stuff. You start doing that and you take them out and now your personnel packages are messed up. And in the last game when Josh Hill got hurt and Traquan Smith got hurt, they're already changing their personnel packages. And now you take Taysom out of there and it's a mess and, and you can't call it. And they were burning timeouts early in the second half because of that. And it's just not feasible. So I don't think Jameis going in, in that game was was the right way to look at it because he went in first, he's starting the next game. No, I mean, I think it's just impossible to actually make that move mid-game with Taysom. So it made sense from, from there, and then you just try to start looking at it, you know, that way, what, what would they do? How are they going to do this? And I think it's been pretty clear that Taysom's always been the guy. That's, like, I don't think it's a lie. And I, I know it's hard for a lot of people that don't really pay attention to the Saints to understand why the personal punt protector is the future quarterback or someone they see as the possible future quarterback. But that's not how the Saints see him. They see him as a guy they gave a two-year, $21 million deal that they're paying $16 million next year just to sit and wait one more year for Breeze to go away to have his chance. And obviously they're going to try to find out about him. And the other thing is, is, is you know, we – and I include myself in this. I, I think we were all wrong about the type of quarterback he is. I, I didn't – I don't know about you, but – you know, when the move to Taysom started happening, like, you know, I'm having the crazy thoughts. Like, how is this going to look? What are they going to do? Oh, they're going to, you know, it's going to look like the Lamar Jackson stuff. They're going to use his legs to open up reads for his arm. And, and you know, that that's kind of how I was looking at it. And it turns out he's a pocket passer. Like, that was, that was the biggest shock in the world. And that's a scary thought. Like, you have a guy that can pocket pass and also run like Mike Allstott. Like, that's a little bit different than being a guy that needs to run the throw. Like, you're much more dangerous if you can pocket pass, but now they also have to be worried about you just bowling someone over. You you can scheme for Lamar Jackson. That happens in the playoffs. You can scheme for all those mobile guys. But it, it's a little bit different when you have that package of players. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's just, you know, I think it was somewhat validating for Peyton. I think you got to keep seeing it from, from Taysom. You know, he's going to have to do it over and over. He's going to have to do it after teams not have film on him. But I think at least for a week, the hypothesis that he could be a viable quarterback was at least validated. I wouldn't say it's proven, but it's validated and it's, it's worth further exploration. So, I mean, they had to find out they did, and I think it was, it was the right move. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN 1420. I think your point of, you know, it's not definitive long-term yet. Um, I know that wasn't your exact words, but to your point, it's like, you got to see more of it. Um, it was uh, he played well on Sunday, and yet long term, you know, is is there is the definitive answer there? Not yet. But why do you feel like the guy is so polarizing? Like, why are so many takes about Taysom Hill 
so hyperbolic. I understand that in today's sports world and, and sports media, there's a lot of hyperbole. But with Taysom Hill, just amongst a fan base and nationally, locally, it just seems all over the place. Um, you, you've, you, you know, you got to kind of go searching to find a, a, a just a, a kind of a rational take on the guy. What do you think it is about him that makes him so hyperbolic? The reaction to him, him himself, his personality—he's, you know, he's kind of low key. He's a good football player, but the reaction to him is strong. Yeah, it's 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 weird how strong the reaction is to him, and I think part of the problem is is that it's just something that people don't know and they don't understand, and I think people are scared of things they don't know and they don't understand, and and. They don't know how to react to it. You know, there was a time when sports fans reacted insanely over the idea of looking at, you know, getting on base in baseballs and overall percentage, you know, like it's just when things change a little bit, I think people get, get confused and, and scared. And I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's a, it's a odd, he's an odd person to cover and you almost get forced into having, you know, I kind of, would describe myself as a Taysom centrist like the whole time, but you, you get forced into these positions almost because the people that are against them are, are so loud and screaming about it. And I just think it's, it's unfair. And I do kind of get a little bit of where that comes from because when he goes into these games, it's not when he's like going in to throw a pass and it's, it's this scheme run thing. And, you know, it's kind of the more Lamar Jackson stuff prior to the start. It didn't always look good. And, that I, I think people tried to look at him going in and throwing one pass and tried to extrapolate it to, oh, that's what he's going to do on 50 passes, which is a really dumb opinion anyhow because you're coming in off the bench. There's no rhythm. You're trying to throw the ball down the field. You're setting up a look. It, it's just not how the game works. Like You, you, can't, you can't rotate in and out at quarterback. It's a, it's a rhythm thing. you got to get used to seeing how they're defending, reading the defense, settle in, all that stuff. So that was a bad way to look at it, but I almost understand it if that's the way you're looking at it. But the other thing is, is that, you know, I, I just didn't get the groundswell necessarily pushing so hard for Jameis in the start. You know, he, he, he sat on the open market until May. He signed for a million dollars. He threw 30 interceptions last year. He went in at halftime and played decently. And I think I think if he had the chance to play a whole game and they they made a game plan for him, I think he probably would have been pretty successful because the Saints are very good right. at setting up players for success. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it would have been a bad thing, but he didn't kill it in that half a half a game. If he had, I think maybe he does get a chance to keep going and, and you find out what you have there because he sees the opportunity. But I don't think he sees that opportunity. He didn't hit on either of those passes in the red zone to Mike Thomas. I think that was a loss for him, you know, and there was the other play in the red zone where he got a little pressure and he immediately panicked and he did scramble for two yards, but I don't think that's what you want in that situation. He didn't let the play develop at all. He didn't stand in the pocket. So I think he had a chance and, and didn't seize it. And I don't know. I mean, I just don't, I don't see why that reaction was the way it was. I mean, it, it, if you're if you're going into a game and you have a good defense, your special teams plays well, you think they're winnable games, and I think these next three are. Well, the one already was, so the next two, um, Denver, Atlanta, and then if you spill out Philadelphia, I think those are all winnable games. You go with the quarterback that's been in your system, right, for, for three years and knows how to do things. And that's probably your best chance of limiting mistakes, not having turnovers, 
having said that, Taysom's fumbles, I think, are a very significant issue. But I don't think it's it's insane to, to go with the guy that you know knows how to run your offense that's been here longer, that's more comfortable. I, I, I think that that doesn't necessarily mean that Taysom's, you know, five years from now, he's going to be the better quarterback. Jameis has, I think, possesses much more talent, much more upside. But in the three-game window, I think it's it's very reasonable to go with the guy that's been around and, and allow him to just kind of manage things a little bit and limit the mistakes. I think it's just an easier move. Good stuff from Nick Underhill at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter, New Orleans.football. Um, I'm on the annual subscription plan. Great Saints content you're not going to get anywhere else. Uh, and if you're not already subscribing, go ahead and do it. Check it out, New Orleans.football. If you're a Saints fan and you want some insight, you won't regret it. All right, Nick, so Taysom and the quarterback spot aside, um, I, I have people ask me this a lot, and they're like, when do you think Drew Brees will come back? I'm like, I don't know. He's on IR three weeks at the earliest, but 11 crack ribs. I don't know. I just know that when he does, if the defense is playing like it is right now, the Saints, I think, are the 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 – I mean, they're the team to beat in the NFC. If Breeze comes back and that defense is playing like it is and has been the last couple of weeks, because we were talking last month, Nick, about this defense, and we were kind of, I guess, confounded by some of the issues they were having, some things that were unexpected. But to your point, you're like, here's the deal. We know how good some of these guys can be like because we've seen it before. It's not like there's some unknowns there. And it just feels like the last couple of weeks – the defense has really turned it on. Um, so let me let me start with this defensively. Quad Alexander and his impact. I know it's only a two-game sample size here, but what what does he bring to this defense, and how much is he, in your mind, a reason for the recent uptick in play? Yeah, I think he's helped a lot. This game I, I thought was a lot better than the first one. The first one, though, I, I you know I thought it was it was solid, uh, above average. You know, he had only practiced three games, so I don't think it was necessarily fair to, to really make a judgment off him in that game. But, you know, I, the first game, there was just some stuff in the run game, you know, the wrong fits, he was hitting the wrong gaps, and just kind of playing off instincts and not necessarily fully aware of what he was supposed to do. And, again, very understandable considering he only practiced three times. I think in this game you saw him – more comfortable with what he was doing, aware of his assignments, knowing what he was supposed to do, and it showed up. And he, he was he was even more dynamic, and his range is is crazy. And you know he, he gets all over the field. And you pair him with Demario Davis, and I think there's an argument that they have possibly the potential to be the best linebacker duo in the NFC South, and that's you know quite a compliment because Tampa Bay has some really good players there. Um, you know I, I think over time he'll he'll be kind of who he is and, and who he's expected to be. You know, I think there's issues with his, his tackling, and I think those are always going to be there. Um, and there's just really nothing, you know, it just is who he is. He's going to get the places on the field that other players can't get, and there's going to be times that he just doesn't finish the play. But that's the reason you got him for a conditional fifth-round pick and an injured player who, by the way, San Francisco already cut. So, I mean, they, they stole this guy. And, and for what he is in the value they, they paid to get him, it's it's crazy because, you know, I just think in this system with the players around him, he'll continue to shine. He'll he'll do very well. And he turns a position that was just okay into a possible strength of the defense. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he has been a difference maker, and I think he should just continue to become more impactful. I still can't believe they got him for a fifth-round pick because Alonzo wasn't going to 
play anyway. I mean, just with the injury. And if he was, it was going to be in a very limited role later on in the season if he did at all. It just To bring in a guy that can start and have that impact just for a fifth rounder, that on terms of the, the trade scale in Mickey Loomis's moves over the year, make sure we'll see if Quan's healthy moving forward, but, but it might be one of his best trades ever. It really is that big to me. And um, his impact, the secondary, but that pass rush, Nick, and you broke it down, you, you know, you, the eight sacks against the Falcons, you know, reading your piece earlier this week about how, you know, each sack and, and what coverage they were in. I think they blitzed on five of them. But from a pass rushing standpoint, I mean, it, it's, they're getting after it. There were coverage sacks as well. Matt Ryan holding on to the ball. It just seems to be clicking right now for the Saints. And getting pressure on the quarterback is a big reason why. So when you look at the uh, eight sacks against Atlanta and when you look at the recent uptick in the pass rush, what to you, what in your mind, if you're you know ranking them here, what are what are one or two things that are at the top of the list for the biggest reason why? I think it's I think it's the coverage, and I, I think they're they're just giving them a little bit more time to get at it. And there's just little things you know they're they're doing now that they weren't doing earlier in the season. On, on one of the sacks, there was a little combo route to the right side of the formation, and the guy in the slot ran a low out route, and the guy on the outside ran a higher out route, and Typically, well, not typically, but earlier in the season, you know, things like this would confuse the Saints and they wouldn't see it coming and they, they would just stay in man and they would end up picking one another. And in this game, you know, they're making switches and, and you know, they, the guy on the outside takes that and they just kind of made a little swap, changed up the coverage, covered the other guys and that just forced Matt Ryan to look to the other side of the field and as he's looking to the other side of the field, he gets sacked and it's just things like that that I think they're doing now that they weren't doing earlier in the season. And, you know, you do get those coverage sacks, and it wasn't happening before. So that that's one. And then, two, I just think that, you know, the guys are starting to, to rush a little bit better. David Onyemata, I think, playing on third downs now has, has made a difference. I don't know that he necessarily handled that as well as you would have liked last season when Sheldon Rikens went out. But this year with the opportunity, I think he's he's doing much better, and he's, he's seizing it. And you just see him showing up over and over. I mean, the guy's so forceful that, you know, when he's rushing and falls forward, he ends up falling into a place where he can just pull the quarterback down. I mean, he's just, he just kills people on the, on the line. And it's been really impressive to watch. And, you know, I think, I don't know that Trey Henderson gets the credit he deserves. I know everybody kind of looks at him like, you know, this, this guy that's just kind of out here doing things and cleaning up behind other people. But I don't think that's entirely true. I mean, I don't know if his sack number reflects his talent. I'm not saying he's the best pass rusher in the NFL, but he's deserving of what he's doing, and he's deserving of, of more credit. You know, his bull rush has been outstanding. He had one in this game where he, he took the, the tackle. I think it was Jake Matthews and just drove him all the way back into Matt Ryan for a sack. I mean, like, he, he's, he's really good. His technique is, is outstanding. Um, he's not, you know, as physically gifted as a Marcus Davenport or Cam Jordan, but I think he gets the most out of what he has, and, and he really works at it. And, you know, I, I did this story earlier. Um, you know, I, I was wrote it about Marcus Davenport's ball rush, actually, and, you know, it, it impressed me to the point where I wanted to find out where it ranked in the league, and I watched every NFL game for, for three weeks and charted them out. You know, the bull rush is who's getting the most pressure off it. 
the guy from Detroit led Davenport was second. Trey Henderson was was third, and it surprised me. And it's just it was really interesting to look at the approaches because with Davenport it was just kind of like sheer force, like just this guy with so much speed and so much power, you know, just getting into somebody's chest and driving them. And on the other side, you know, Hendrickson doesn't have that, but his technique was was so good, and he was he was succeeding through the, the use of technique and and just his approach. And it was just interesting to see the way he approaches it. But it was also interesting because you're looking at Davenport the way he does it, and if he gets sixty percent of Hendrickson's technique, he's he's it's It'll unbelievable. Be, yeah. He'd be the best pass rusher in the league, but he's not quite as refined yet. But just that juxtaposition of, of sheer power and force on one side technique on the other was, was just kind of really interesting to see. But, you know, I, I would argue that Hendrickson has, has worked at his craft and, and gotten to a point, you know, comparable with anybody else in the league. He doesn't necessarily have the physical gifts, but that's not holding him back. He's, he's getting it done with, with, you know, know-how smarts and technique. And it's been impressive to watch. Yeah. I enjoyed hearing him speak after Sunday's game. You know, he referenced his faith a good bit and, uh, and his and his wife, but just in terms of never getting down about anything when he was inactive for a number of games, and now he has started every game this year. And I mean, I, I know folks like to point out, well, he's not getting doubled as much. You can point out all of that, but you also have to point out that he leads the NFL in sacks, tied with Miles Garrett. I mean, that you can't deny that number. And um, you know, you you referencing how much you, you studied the bull rush and the fact that Davenport was second, but Hendrickson was third, and that was a surprise. I think it just shows you, like you said, how much time he has put into his craft. And I, I, I think, I don't remember if I talked to you about him. I think I did. I talked to a number of folks before the season about Hendrickson being one of the more interesting soon-to-be free agents for the Saints, going to be an unrestricted free agent, and how he's probably going to sign elsewhere. Now, when I was saying that, I was thinking in my mind he might have five and a half sacks this year, maybe four and a half. He's about to hit double digits. They're playing Denver and, and Atlanta the next two weeks and Philly. They've those teams have, you know, they don't have quarterbacks that um that typically don't get sacked a lot for the record. So I, I could see that number growing even more. And I, I do think he's maybe just with the, 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 the depression of the salary cap and what we're expecting. Might be priced, probably priced himself out. I don't know. I mean, the Saints have found a way to do it in the past, but all I know is that guy hadn't had a season yet where he's been paid a, a million dollars in salary, and he's about to get paid a lot more than that with a signing bonus because regardless of, of doubles or single teams or whatever you want to break it down, if you're one of the top sack leaders in the NFL, you're, you're going to get a big payday. I mean, that's just what history has shown us. Oh yeah, he's definitely going to get paid. It will be interesting to see. You know, I I don't know. The Saints can manage the cap this year. They can keep a lot of the players they want if they get extremely aggressive and pushing stuff forward. There's a way to do it without having to shed a ton of talent. The year after next year is the one where where I think you would have the hugest issues. But as far as like an unexpected salary bump, I I, I think it would be possibly hard now if they wanted to keep him you could do things like give him a roster bonus in year two instead of a signing bonus up front and a low base salary in the first season and then when you hit the second season you could take that signing bonus and prorate it out and like the the reason for doing that would be that you give him a signing bonus if he say he signs a five-year contract you give him a 20 million dollar signing bonus it would hit four years on the cap every year at four million dollars now if you gave him a lower base salary in the first year and then a $20 million roster bonus in the second year. When you hit that 
time for the for the roster bonus to be paid, you could convert it into a signing bonus. And then if you had four years left on the contract, you could take it out and it'd be $5 million a year. So there's different ways to do it. Um, you could set it up, you know, with these roster bonuses more so in the back. There's there's ways to game the cap to keep them if they want to get really creative and they, they feel desperate to keep them and they're willing to mess up their books in the future to keep them now. You could do it. But, you know, I, I think it's probably more likely, and I'm just projecting right now, I, I don't have any info here, but, like, I do think it's probably more likely that he ends up pricing out and he goes somewhere else. Um, I don't know what Kyle Van Noy got paid, but he's kind of a, a player in the same mold, played for the Patriots, and then he followed uh, Forrest down to Miami, and I think he got play, paid pretty well. Um, Trey Flowers was kind of in the same mold, maybe not necessarily a Davenport-type you know, force, but somebody that, that won quite a good bit and he got paid too. So, I mean, you, you hit 10 sacks, 11 sacks, 12 sacks. That's one of those positions where everybody's desperate for pass rushers and you end up overpaying, you know, dramatically, I think for, for production. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it's, his tape, you know, doesn't necessarily, again, say a nine and a half sack, 10 sack guy, but at a certain point, like if you're, if you're hitting 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, like if, if you told me today he ends the season with 15 sacks, I wouldn't think it's crazy because he's just kind of collecting them at, at this point. So it, it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to have like a really big number. And at some point, you know, you're going to get paid at least like a, every other 10 sack guy, even if your your talent doesn't necessarily say you're a 15 sack guy. So He's, he's going to get paid. It's just, you know, by who and how much of the Saints value his production. Yeah, that uh, he's making the, the decision, I think, more difficult with each sack. But as a whole, you know, Cam Jordan's play has certainly come up. Onyemata has been really good this season. And Davenport's impact since he's, you know, returned to the lineup is really undeniable. And uh, in your article last week on studying all the bull rushes and what he brings to the table is uh, is good stuff. Nick Underhill has uh, has been our guest. Uh, last one for you on the Saints, Nick, and we appreciate the time. The uh, the Denver Broncos are a team when I when I look at the matchup this Sunday, they're they're not they're not a good offensive team, okay? I I'm not going to try to to sell anybody on that. But I do think Vic Vangio if if he wasn't a head coach and he was a coordinator, might be the best defense coordinator in football. From a defensive standpoint, he's a guy that I just from a game planning standpoint, he just he's really good. And now you've got granted it's just one week, but you got a little bit more on on Taysom Hill in terms of what the Saints did differently with Hill as a starter instead of the, you know, quote, Swiss Army knife or whatever you want to call it. I I know Saints fans, you know the Saints are a six point favorite and I just historically this is the only team Sean Payton hasn't beaten as a head coach. It's the only team the Saints haven't beaten in the in the 21st century. They hadn't won since 94 against Denver, if I'm not mistaken. And I know all that's history and it doesn't matter. I know the Saints are the better team. But there's part of me that feels like this matchup is going to be more difficult than Atlanta and, and more difficult than some of the other games they've been playing. I see the 4-6 record, and I think the Saints' defense will play well. But offensively, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a little bit more struggle, and that's a testament, I just think, to, to, to Vic Vangio in my mind. Do you see the Saints running away with this thing, or do you, do you anticipate a close game like I do on Sunday? I think the thing that's going to be most interesting to me going into this game, and this might sound weird, but I think it's showing up in a lot of different ways in, in the fumbles the deep pass takes him through. He, he got his leg hit, but at the same time, like he didn't hold the ball 
as his body jerked and it slipped out of his hand going down the field on that deep pass to Emmanuel Sanders that hung in there for like three seconds. I think going to Denver in a cold atmosphere with a quarterback who has hands that are eight inches, uh, 8.75 inches, which is, which is small. It's small for a quarterback. Breeze is 10 and a half, 10 and three quarters, and he's shorter. So if you take a quarterback that's having fumbling issues, you put him in a colder game. I, it snowed a lot in Denver today. I think it's supposed to melt. In, or I'm sorry, it snowed in Denver yesterday. I think it's supposed to melt and you know, be in the 40s this weekend. I think that if, if this guy doesn't hold on to the football, it becomes a closer game. And the fumbles are the biggest issue with him, and he has to figure that out. And I think if there's a detriment to him becoming a, a, you know, a viable starting quarterback, especially one who, who's – you know, value to some degree comes from his ability to run. If he keeps fumbling, I, I think that's that's the biggest issue. And I think it's something to watch going into this game, given that he hasn't been able to protect the ball this year. So I think if they protect the ball, I, I, I expect the Saints to be able to win this game by a decent amount. You know, I, I would take the over on that. Would you say it was, it was six? I think the latest line is Saints minus six, yeah. So I would, I would take the over on that if you tell me he doesn't cough up the ball. Um, right. Or let's say one turnover. I would still take the, the over on that with the way they're playing. But if you get into two turnovers, which, again, I think that's that's the biggest issue with this offense right now is them holding on to the ball, then I think you get into a much closer game. And that's where I become interested in, in Taysom. You know, I, I think that even when they were behind in this game, you didn't have to change your approach. And I don't know if we'll ever see them really trailing in, in any of these games if they play out, you know, the chop, how they're supposed to play out. I think you, you would expect the Saints to be ahead in most of them, but – you know, if they ever got in a, in a game where they're behind or, you know, they need to score a lot of points in a hurry, the approach they took last week I don't think works every single week. You can't play action on 41% of your snaps in a game where you need to score points because mm. you just aren't, you aren't believing the run. So once you take that out and you can drop more guys in coverage, how does he look then? I mean, there, there's things about him that, that we might not find out, but I would like to see them <laughs> get in these situations just – so, you know, academically, we, we can evaluate him a little bit more fully and kind of know what he is, but I don't know if we're ever going to see that. So um, that's a long way to say that it, it would be interesting to see a close game, to see them even trail in it and have to fight their way back and see if he can do it. But I I, I, I don't know. I think I think they'll do okay, and I'm, I'm, I would take the over in this one. I, look, well said. I like your breakdown in, in terms of if they are down, seeing how the offense would work you know, with Taysom playing from behind, how they have to change things. Is it doable? Is it not? And, and look, I know someone is going to email me or call and say, what are you talking about? Denver's defense isn't that good. Look at this stat. I think their defense is better than what it reads on a stat sheet because I think their offense is so bad that the defense has to spend so much time on the field. Um, That's fair. I, but, but so I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this matchup on Sunday, uh, 305 kickoff in, uh, in the Mile High City. Well, Nick, Nick Underhill has been our guest. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. And before we let you run, um, I, I will continue to vouch by it. I'm thankful that I got my subscription to NewOrleans.Football because I get good stuff on the Saints that I don't get elsewhere. So before we let you run, for anybody listening that might be on the fence as to whether or not they should uh, become a member and, and subscribe to what you have going on over there at NewOrleans.Football, just go ahead and take a moment to, to speak to them. Well, any support is definitely appreciated. Um, you know, we I do try to do some things that other people don't do. You know, I, there's a 
story about the bull rushes that we mentioned. Three, I watched three weeks of games to literally write two sentences about where Marcus Davenport ranked because I thought it was important to paint that picture. So that's the kind of stuff we do, the depth. Um, you know, it, it, if you care about the details on the Saints, I care about the details on the Saints. And, you know, I try to go as deep as I can. And for the people that support, I work as hard as I can for them. Great stuff. Nick Underhill, uh, at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter. He's got the blue check mark. Go check him out. You can be one of his 38-plus thousand followers. Nick, appreciate the time, man. Uh, have a great uh, holiday, and we'll talk to you again uh, in about a month, maybe after Christmas. So uh, at that point, might have a better idea of where the Saints stand in terms of possible seeding heading into Week 17. We'll, we'll see if Drew Brees is back. I know a lot's going to happen between then and now. In the meantime, though, I'll be uh, reading all your stuff and – following you and appreciate the time man. all the best yeah thanks for having me always uh, appreciate the uh, depth of conversations we have here